Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to another Hoops Adjacent episode of Athletic NBA Show. David Aldridge here in D.C. Waz in L.A. What's up, Waz? How are you, man? Good, man. You know, long weekend, short week. Yes, right? <laughs> Very short here in D.C. Everybody's taking the rest of the week off for the inauguration. We're taping on Tuesday. The inauguration's on Wednesday. Best of luck to the new president and to the new vice president. Um... Got a lot of work to do. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> Got a lot of work to do. Um, so, um, and by the way, Waz wrote a great column on Monday for Martin Luther King Day about how the NBA can really kind of speak truth to what Dr. King's words were about and not just, you know, pay platitudes to it and play the same, same 38 seconds from the I Have a Dream speech that everybody plays and then forget about it by really leaning in and trying to help reduce poverty around the country, in especially in their in their cities where they have NBA teams. Great read. Take a minute to take a look at it. And style rankings are out today as well with Waz. So my brother is getting it done. Um, check them out. Check them out. Thank you for that plug, um, DA. Of course, brother. Of course, of course. Um, we will have Law Murray on in a few minutes. Law is our new writer uh, here at The Athletic covering the Clippers. So he will talk about PG. He'll talk about Kawhi. He'll talk about all that's going on with the Clips. Real briefly, I went to sleep when the Lakers were killing the Warriors last night, Was and uh, <laughs> woke up and saw they won that joint. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I guess they. I saw that... Um, Pascal had a great third quarter and fourth quarter. Wanamaker made some baskets. So that's got to be encouraging for them. Yeah, it wasn't definitely. just and, you step know, dropping bombs. It's the Lakers. So you also have to factor in the probably didn't care for four quarters factor. Right, right, right. So <laughs> we've seen that all season. You know, games like yes. New Orleans where in the third quarter, their defense just turns into like a freaking death star. And then the rest right. of the game, they were chilling. And and that's all it took for them to win, right? And so we've seen right. them, the effort wax and wane as the season goes on. But, you know, sometimes you get caught. Yeah, they got they got caught Monday night. So props to the Warriors who are hanging in there, man. I mean, we got to say that, you know, they don't look like they're going to tank. They don't look like they're going to be awful. They aren't going to be great or anything. We know that. But, you know, they, they'll probably make it, you know, seven or eight seed maybe or make the tournament at least, I think. And we'll see what they can do in a playoff series. But, hey, um, there's no good way to segue to this. I will not try. Um, my father passed away last week. Uh, and I wanted to talk about him for a few minutes. And then we'll bring Law in uh, to discuss all things Clippers going forward. But, um, you know, I don't want to be maudlin about this because it's not a maudlin feeling for me. I'm sad. I'm very sad that my dad's gone. But my father was 92. And as I've said many times, 
what are the odds that a black man born in Tampa, Florida in 1928 would live to be 92? <laughs> I mean, come on, seriously, what are the odds? <laughs> you know, I mean, you think about all of the systemic racism that he grew up with. He grew up in a house with no running water. He, you know, it was a shack, basically. No, no, no toilet, no nothing. They thought was. They thought they were moving up in the world when they moved into the projects. That's how poor they were. <laughs> wow. They were like, damn, we're going to the projects. This is My great. Lord. <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, that's how bad it was for him growing up. So it's for him to have a life where he was able to, you know, live in, live in D.C., buy a house, raise a family, put three kids through college on a mailman salary and a nurse's salary. You know, as I often say, like to him, college was a dream. It was aspirational. And to my children and everybody going forward, it's going to be the expectation. And he did that. Yeah. I didn't do that. <clears throat> he did that. He made that possible. Um, so you just think about that as a, I think about that as a black man. And just that's not something that a lot of black people get in their lives. They don't get that kind of uplift, literally lifting you up from poverty to another place, you know, another, another social economic strata in this country because of one man and one woman's efforts and their sacrifices. And I just am so grateful. I'm so grateful to him um, for everything that he's done for our family Um he was the patriarch um, for a long time, and I didn't know what that meant until recently. Um, and, it, you know, he's the one that everybody talked to um, about whatever it was that was going on in their lives. And he would give them advice and he would give them counsel. Sometimes he would pat them on the back. Sometimes he'd kick them in the butt, you know. Um, and that's a very important responsibility to have. Uh, and I, you don't realize how big it is until they're gone. Um, and you realize how many people, you know, talked to them and count, to, sought their counsel. Um, my dad was a high school graduate. He didn't go to college. He wanted to go to college, but he said he was afraid, <laughs> said he was afraid he wouldn't make it. And so mm. he didn't go. Um, and I think about that all the time, like how different my dad's life would have been if he had gone to college. Um, and, uh, you know, he just decided to, to have a life um, and he worked his whole life um, well into his 70s. And um, he was a consequential man. Was. He was a consequential guy in all, all ways and all things. And, um, you know, we didn't see him for many years growing up because he worked two jobs. I'm sure your family has similar tales. Man. Yes, sir. You know, and that's just what people do, right? That's what you do, what you got to do. Um, and, you know, again, I'm so grateful that he was in my life until the end of his life um, and always was dispensing wisdom. And I tried very much to to do the same in, in whatever small way I could in the latter years of his life. But he was a, he was a good man. He was the guy that everybody always asked me about. How's your dad doing? Um people that I hadn't seen in years, people that were, you know, up in age <laughs> with all, every time I run into them in town, Hey, tell your dad, I said, hello. You know, he was just that kind of guy. And so I, I, I wanted, I wanted to just talk about like, I don't think, I don't think black men get the kind of respect sometimes that, that they are due. Um, and especially black men of, of that age, 
like Chris Rock always says, that deal with real racism. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, not this, not what we're dealing with, which is racism, but it's not like what they dealt with. Right. You know, like, let's, let's be real now. It's not like what they dealt with. So, um, and I just want, I want to uplift them, you know, for just a, just a couple of minutes because I grew up amongst them. And, 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 and that's why I'm, I'm just, I'm so happy to talk about my dad because we had a neighborhood full of people that worked, that went to work every morning and came home from work and then got up and did it again the next day and worked on Saturdays. And sometimes they worked on Sundays. Um, and they just did that. And they were just, I could tell you what everybody on my block did. <laughs> you know, he did this, she did that. You know, he worked at a liquor store. She worked at the cafeteria. You know, he was a mailman. He was a retired mailman, you know, so, um, uh, you just knew what what people did, and and that generation I don't think gets enough respect um, as the people that kind of really paved the way for us and gave us a chance and are giving us a chance to do what what we do. Um, I don't talk about myself much because I just I just not I just don't do that. I was just so happy that my dad got to see me when I got the the Naismith Award. I was very very grateful that he was able to come up. Um, and see me. He took the train, of course, because he's afraid to fly. <laughs> fly, Dad. It's a forty-minute flight. Come on, what are you talking about? It's literally up and down. You're not even up there that long. But he wouldn't do it, uh, so he took the train, which is fine. Um, so I just wanted to thank my dad. That's all. I just wanted people to know that my dad meant the world to me, and that I loved him dearly and madly, like Duke Ellington used to say. Um, and I just want people to know how important he was to me and to my sister and my brother before my brother passed. And and just, you know, we're not here because of him. And I don't just mean that literally. I mean, we're not here. I'm not, I don't have this ridiculously charmed and blessed life that I have, if not for him. And I have to, I have to acknowledge that. And I have to let people know that he was responsible for that. And his example was responsible for me understanding my my part in the world and what I have to do in the world and how I have to be honest with myself and be honest with the people in my family and um, not take shortcuts and not be a show horse, but be a plow horse. You know, I learned that from him. Um, so I just want to thank my dad and I hope he's resting comfortably with my mom and with my brother and I love you. So we'll take a break and then we'll bring Law in to talk about Clippers and talk about everything going on in the Western Conference. Let's bring DA into the conversation here. Welcome to Who Comma is Jason on the Athletic Podcast Network. Turned it on and I heard Shaq with the barbs and it's like the bullshit and braggadocio. I was transported right back into it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I think I rap better than Shaq. With David Aldridge. Oh, he's totally playing. Yes. <laughs> And then they have their lungs out in front of everybody on TV. Michael was not your friend. It was popping in there. So the Chicago and Detroit stuff, that was real. That was real. I mean, God forbid we don't have scholarship monies and can't pay for the charters for the water polo <laughs> in Iowa. Hoops Welcome to Hoops Five, Four. We have ignition. Welcome back to Hoops Adjacent, an athletic NBA show. Hey, we have got great guests this week. I'm so happy that he's here because 
I'm just happy he's here. <laughs> you know, um, the newest member of our athletic NBA family, Law Murray, who covers the Clippers for us. Law, welcome, man. Thank you, DA. Thank you, Waz. And I'm just I'm happy to be here. Man, well, I want to, Waz, before we start, I just want yeah. Law to tell people real quick, because you've been doing this for a minute. Yes. You ain't no job yes. to come lately. And I want people to tell, tell no us your story. Chicken, DA. Exactly. <laughs> tell us the story of how you how you got here, man. It's a it's a long story, and to be honest with you, the athletic made it really quick because I'll tell you, coming from ESPN to the athletic, they literally hit me up on a Wednesday night and then offered me an hour before that Brooklyn Nets Golden State Warriors season opener. So it really threw everything through a loop. Uh, but it was a long time coming because before I joined ESPN, I was covering the Clippers on a regular basis uh, for Clipper blog. Shout out to uh, mm. Kevin Arnovitz and Shouts Andrew Hahn and everybody who kind of, you know, built that culture over there of covering a team every day and, and caring about them no matter how good or how bad they were. Uh, so mm. that's how I kind of got started covering the NBA on a credential basis. But I mean, I've been, I've been around, a lot of different publications and a lot of different sites just trying to get my visibility up. Uh, I was, I was covering the Drew league for years yeah. and years and years. I mean, right, DA, yeah, right. when I first met you, I was just excited to tell you how I was just finished covering my first summer at the Drew league and how exciting yeah. that was. And you were like, man, they should broadcast that. And I was like, man, they can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a program, right? It's a program, DA. The, the rules are a little different. And right, right. I, I mean, yeah. so I love... Now, you know what? Now they could, though. It would be all right to do it now. Oh, People shoot. would love it now. The, but I hear you. Hey, 2021, first virtual summer of the Drew. There you Ground, go. <laughs> groundbreaking. <laughs> South Central LA. People ain't ready for that, right? though. Uh, no, probably so, not. So... <laughs> so so, I mean, I, should, I mean, go ahead. No, 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 no. Just to, I just uh, how did you keep how did you keep your head up? Because, you know, so many people, they get started, they get to a certain level. They don't get they don't go to where they need to go or the, where they want to go next. And they get frustrated and they leave the business. And it's happened so many times. I can't can't keep track, can't keep count. So how did you keep going to the point where you get where you got up with ESPN? I think it's just a knowledge of self and to really take seriously the people who keep supporting you and encouraging you. I mean, I, I first got out of college and I didn't even know what the heck sports media business was like. I was like, all right, I got a degree. Is there like a draft? People just know what I was doing in college just because my grades are good. You know, I mean, I had to go home and I had to do another program and I had to really develop my knowledge of self. You know, shout out to shout out to most deaf and, and telequality, you know, like that knowledge yeah. of that KOS, man, that self-determination really means something. So um, I came out to L.A. and I didn't know anyone uh, 10 years ago. And I was doing a program that I loved. I was working in schools and everything, uh, working in communities. And still on the side, I was like, all right, I'm going to start my website. I'm still going to cover the NBA, the NFL, all that. Um, and then I didn't have anything lined up. And I was like, I really got to tap into what the heck am I good at? And what kind of career am I trying to set myself up for? Why am I on the West Coast when I had all this love on the East Coast? And that's... Grad school is not for everybody. 
I, I'm really fortunate that I got to go to grad school, not because of whatever status comes with a advanced degree, but because I needed to network better. I needed to be pushed to be better, to take whatever raw skills, whatever quote unquote versatility I had and turn that into something that I could actually do for a living. And even working part-time and working freelance and covering a team where it's like, you're still deferring to everyone who's covering the team on a regular basis. Cause that's what you're, what you're doing when you're doing something like true hoop. Um, it, it was right, like, right. you have time and you will get an opportunity, but you have to keep yourself eligible for when other people are going to recognize what you've been putting work in for years. Uh, even when I came to ESPN, I was so blessed to get a position to be an editor there, even though I was like, I did not prepare to be an editor. Like I'm going to be a good editor because I have the satellite skills, if you will, to really be good at it and to support people and to put them in the best positions. But I had to keep my eye on the long-term goal, which was to cover the NBA in a way that I thought I could cover it. And Mm. I'm just really fortunate to just stay eligible, to stay in it. Uh, it's like being down in a game, but you're, you haven't lost it yet. You, you have a chance and you just got to get a run. So uh, this is my run and I'm really fortunate to have an opportunity to take advantage of it. Well, I just want to say, Law, that your reputation precedes you. Um, we have a few mutual homies and I talked to a couple of people and what they had to say universally was that one, the guy is extremely thorough um, the way he breaks down tape, the way he has a facility with, you know, the numbers, just his approach to everything is just thorough. That was the that was the buzzword that I heard. So I'm excited that you're now here with us doing what you so obviously love to do, man. Um, it's it's a really dope time, dope thing to see. Hey, thank you. And and I think everybody who has supported me, who has kept my name in 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 uh in their hearts uh because especially in a year like this the year that we just saw it's like i mean was when we when we met one time it was at kevin narnavis's place there's a lot of people there and it's like you know uh we can't have stuff like that this year so it's almost like the work and the time that you put in with other people in the time where we had that opportunity to see each other it's like it, it 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 reciprocates more when you have to kind of take advantage of the technology and the times and not and keep each other safe and not see each other. So uh, really shout out to shout out to everybody who, who uh, who's spread love over this past several years, not just this past year. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So I'm curious about how you're handling this because we're all in the same boat with COVID. It's all Zoom calls all the time. But is there outreach available? I mean, can you... Are guys texting you back when you t- when you text them? Are they DMing you back? Are you still able to kind of keep the lines of communication open? Because they're literally being told, you know, don't associate with anybody. You know, go home. Don't <laughs> don't answer your phone. You know, like it's like don't do anything. And I wonder, like, is that still accessible to you? 
You mean in terms of covering the team or just in general? Yeah, just covering the team. Just do, No, just covering the team. Like, doing what you got to do. Like, you got to talk to players. You got to talk to coaches. You got to talk to the front office. You got to talk to PR. You know, all of the, all of the various constituencies. Um, but it's very difficult to do that when you're not at the arena or you're not at the practice facility every day, you know? Right. So, um, so how, how do you compensate for that? I guess is what I'm asking. It's, it's, it's been an interesting adjustment. I mean, I'm basically through my first week of not just covering the Clippers for this outlet, the athletic, but I mean, really period. I haven't been around the right, team right. much over the last two years. And fortunately I, I did get a chance to, to meet with the front office virtually um, and meet with the PR staff and re-familiarize myself with them because some of them remember me from a past era when I was around them every single day. But, but yeah, now it's like, um, I'm going to have to text you more. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to email you more. Those are things I didn't have to do a few years ago. Um, right. I'm starting to understand that when these zoom availabilities happen, I mean, look, you just got to respect uh, the fact that it's hard for everybody. It's really hard for writers, broadcasters, who people are trying to put content together on a daily basis, but it's hard for them to wrangle players and to get coaches on a set time uh, practices before games, after games. And, you know, you want to hold them accountable. I'm, I'm talking PR, especially uh, you want to hold them accountable, but you also just have to, uh, treat them uh, like they would want to be treated, like you'd want to be treated. So uh, I try and take advantage of whatever availabilities there are. I'm still trying to get better at uh, finding different ways of how people are getting back uh, back to me on certain things. And that's something that over the over the balance of the month, I hope to get better at. But it's certainly been a been an adjustment. You have to be really efficient with your time, basically. <laughs> and right. and, so and look, uh, it wouldn't be, you know, we don't want to cast any aspersions on any PR departments out there, but some of them are cagier than others in the best of times. Cagier. I like that. Cagier. <laughs> I like how you that's good. That's good. <laughs> let's talk let's talk about your squad there. Law, what's going on with your with your uh with your clippers? Uh they seem to be seem to be. I mean, as we're taping this, they've won four straight. Um, what are you, what are you seeing from them that, that seems to be working for them right now? A lot of dependence on the starters, obviously. They're depending on the starters, but you know what, over the past week, they've had to open that up a little bit. Uh, some guys have missed some time. Uh, Sunday night, Serge Ibaka missed a game due to an illness and, uh, he's fine. It's not COVID related or anything like that. He's actually supposed to play, uh, Wednesday, but when stuff like that happens, you have to open up your depth a little bit. Uh, Lou Williams, he's been hurt a little bit. Uh, Pat Beverly, another starter, he missed Friday night. And for a while, the bench has been playing really rough. But uh, these dudes are shooting extremely well. They're arguably the best shooting team in the league. You're talking about 10 guys who are attempting uh, two threes a game. Uh, and Serge Ibaka is the lowest percentage at 34 percent the league average is around 36 percent it's incredible how well they're all shooting and initially you're thinking oh this is not it's obvious it's not sustainable nobody's shooting 44 percent for three for the whole season but the fact is they're creating incredible shots people were concerned about their point guard play um they don't have a traditional uh 
point guard who penetrates, who creates their own shots for others, or, you know, the kind of water bug guys that you're used to seeing, and yet they're doing a better job protecting the ball. They're doing a better job of getting guys involved. And, and a lot of that comes from the evolution of both Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. It's something that is rare to see when guys have been in the league for a, just about a decade. Both of them are almost 30 or just turned 30. And they've shown a different part of their game this year as distributors, as playmakers, as unselfish uh, facilitators. And it's really gotten everybody involved. That's why the Clippers have been one of the best offenses in the league. Now, we'll see what happens when their bodies go on the road next week. Uh, when, when them plane rides start to affect jumpers a little bit, we'll see what those numbers look like then. But for right now, this is an extended practice. Everybody knows the deal with the Clippers. It's <laughs> about what happens in the postseason. Nobody, right. Everybody's going to get energy for when, not even when they lose a game, man. Just when somebody goes off or when they have a 20-point lead and they don't have a 20-point lead anymore, people get excited about that. But they've taken that and they've been poised enough for the most part. Um, and they've they've just continued to get better. So that's, that's really the main takeaway. They're shooting the hell out of the ball, but it's not just the fact that shots are going down. It's how they're getting those shots as well. So that's what I wanted to ask you um, because obviously we all paid attention to the Clippers last year very closely not just because you and I were local, but because they were considered to be one of the title favorites, if not the outright title favorite, right? So what have you seen that's different between last year's Clippers and what they're doing under the Ty Lue regime? I think last year's Clippers had a major identity crisis. One that comes where you've got a coach in Doc who had been there for years. You got to remember, like Doc came to the Clippers almost like a savior. You know, um, he wasn't just the head coach. He was the he's the president. Um, he was the face right, of everything right. in light of what was going on on the court. And then his first postseason got hijacked by what happened with uh, the Sterling uh, tapes and everything like Doc meant a lot of different things to these guys. They changed the whole roster over. He gets stripped of of uh, of his front office responsibilities to an extent. And then the team overachieves. That's an identity. So you bring in two guys and one guy is coming off a of finals MVP for crying out loud. He's basically looked at as well, we got to do things how Kawhi does it. And then you bring in the right. other guy, Paul George, who on one hand, he was an MVP candidate. On the other hand, dude was hurt coming into the new season. So you can't right. develop a sense of how these guys are going to mesh with an established identity early in the season and then throughout the season. They were just figuring that out when the hiatus started. And we all saw they got rocked by COVID and all the challenges that had to do with the bubble. It was just a whole bunch of teams going on last year. And the talent was obvious. The fit was not. This year, things are a lot more together. They're a lot more simplified. It's almost like if last year was the Kawhi year and the adjusting to Kawhi more than PG, this year it's like, all right, you know what? Kawhi is an established, he's the constant. Paul George is the variable. And it's almost as if to say how Paul goes is how the team's going to go. And Paul's been mm. great. And that's what you're seeing right now. Paul's been confident. He's playing with guys who instead of it, it's like, oh, you, well, you got to get with the guys who, you know, came back from down 30 against the Warriors in the playoffs. It's like, that's not this team anymore. There's a lot of vibe of the, 
the stuff that happened before, even last summer in the bubble, that's not this team anymore. And I think that's allowed guys to kind of settle in and focus and be uh, more attentive to what they need to work on. There's a lot more security in roles, I think, right now. And it's a long season. We'll see how that gets rocked uh, as things happen. But as of right now, guys are just more confident, more uh, in tune of what their individual responsibilities are. I wanted, you know, along those lines, I, I, you mentioned Batum and I just, I want, I think Batum's going to be way more important than maybe people realize for them um, as, as the season goes on, you know, and it's not just because they're both French. It's, um, I, I, I just, he to me is what Boris Diaw was to the Spurs when the Spurs won those championships. Um and especially the 14 team that, that destroyed the, the Lakers, or destroyed the Heat, I'm sorry. Um, that extra ball handler, just the extra facilitator, to me is so crucial for this team. And it doesn't even matter if he has the hockey assist or not. It doesn't matter. Just the guy that gets them into their stuff on a, <laughs> you know, play after play is so important. And to me, Batum could be that guy for them. And that's why I thought that was such a sneaky good pickup for them. Um, if you look at his his effective field goal percentage so far is 621. I mean, that's it's, it's just ridiculous. Especially for how, a scrap heap guy. Um, yeah. A guy that they yeah. just ended up getting for like the veterans minimum or whatever. Like that's that's incredible production right now. Yeah, and he's not and 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 he's not the guy making twenty million dollars a year in Charlotte. You know what I'm saying? Like he doesn't have to be that Sorry, guy Mike. with the Clippers. He's just the fourth guy. You know, he's just the fourth starter on them, on their team that just always makes, I should say always, that frequently makes the right decision, makes the right pass, gets the ball where it's supposed to be. And to me, I think a guy like that can make all the difference in the world in the playoff series. Yeah, he's another one of those guys who are just shooting the lights out and you're just wondering, okay, when is the regression to the mean going to come? I mean, I saw this dude last year play for the Hornets uh, which is saying a lot because it was hard to watch Hornets games last year. And we're talking about a guy who was shooting 35% from the field, sub 30 from three, basically was banished from the rotation after about this point last year. I thought he looked, I thought he looked done. I thought he wasn't, he wasn't, um, I thought he was at the end of his career almost. And the Clippers, they were like, is he healthy? And once Todd got comfortable with the fact that he's healthy, um, he, you know, they, there was a little bit of luck uh, in terms of how much he was going to play because Marcus wasn't ready to play. Marcus signed the contract, but Marcus needed more time uh, with his knee to get ready for this season. And it just turns out that here you got this guy who fits like a glove with these guys, not just on the court with his ability to pass and so far his ability to be smart with where he is on the floor. He's a low-mistake player, uh, but... He's a guy who doesn't have any real ego because he made that money in Charlotte, because mm. he had gone through the criticism uh, that not just in Charlotte, but even with Portland, people were like, man, right, this guy right, is so right. versatile, so talented. When's the light bulb going to come up? Is he ever going to be like an all-star? Is he going to give us more than like 15 a game? You know, when you got a guy who has so many skills, but you're wondering, wait, where are the big stat lines? Where's the production going to come from? You just wonder. He's at a point in his career where, again, it's just that 
that knowledge of self, that security in where he is at this point of his career, and it fits. And it, and it's clearly rubbed off because these guys gravitate to the big things that he provides and the little things that he does. A lot of this is little things, and he's right now just playing his role to a T. Ty called him a six six eight point guard. And I don't know if I've ever heard anyone talk about Batum like that in his previous 12 seasons in the NBA. So I, yes, yes. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. Like he, but, but he was always viewed as he's got to do more than just be a point guard. You know what I mean? Like he's got to score 25 a game to justify the contract, you know, or he's got to be the third scorer in Portland for this to make, for this to work. And none of that is the case in, in LA. That's why I think it could be perfect for him because all he has to do is what he does which is move the ball, make good passes, and and make shots when he's open. That's, I think it's, it could really be good. Yeah, he's yeah, been a glue it's guy. Batum, it's Batum, so you always have to be worried about injuries as well. But, you know, yes, when you're not yes. counted upon to shoulder a meaningful burden, um, and like you said, D.A., he can use his playmaking, his sort of Swiss Army knife nature to help the team. It's nice. He's just elevating what Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are doing by, you know, accentuating that other stuff. But what I do want to ask Lawrence about, and because I guess people do notice, obviously, when Paul George is killing people and he's shooting 50% from three, like that jumps off the page. But I think why they lost in the playoffs last year was their defense. So do we think their defense, from what they've shown, and it's still very early, I want to remind everybody that it's still very early, has their defense shown enough that you would think, hey, man, they got the championship medal on that side. So far, no. And I think a lot of that has to do with, I think Ty is going to try and be ex- as experimental as possible. He's, I think he's really going to treat this regular season like an extended practice, which means a lot this year because you can't practice as much anyway. Um, and shoot, it hasn't hit the Clippers yet. But you just never know when the protocols are going to take take this to the point where, you know, practice time is going to be compromised by your personnel. But they have a they have a new staff. Uh, Dan Craig came over from the Miami Heat. You're going to see more looks there. Ty Lue said in practice or just ahead of practice that he's going to look to even more small ball lineups. And you may you may you may see that this week against teams like the Kings and the Thunder, who is like screw it like let's let's see what what they're capable of let's see what doesn't work they saw in the first 10 games for example playing guys like Reggie Jackson Luke Kennard and Lou Williams is probably going to get you lit up on defense <laughs> and so you're not going to see those lineups anymore Luke Kennard has had some <laughs> nights on defense man and and I like his game I like that you know he can do a little everything right like he can pass dribble and shoot um and so I like what he brings offensively, and I think it's nice, but ooh, he gets abused on defense sometimes. Yeah, and and some of that is just a matter of not just being in the wrong spots and not being aggressive enough, you know? And so I think Ty and his staff, they've seen that, and it's like, all right, we can't have Luke playing with guys who can't protect him. You know, put him on the floor more with Kawhi and PG and – they're they're not they're still not great defensively, <laughs> but they're at least acceptable. And Got acceptable you. will get you through this regular season with the way that they've been performing offensively. I think 
what they really are going to need to figure out at some point. And I don't know, uh, I don't want to say like they need to change their personnel or anything, but uh, it would be nice if they get guys like Avita Zubats on, on, on track. Uh, he was a starter last year. Now he's coming off the bench. He's a, he's their biggest body. He hasn't been great this year. He hasn't. He's been a little out of position. Um, he clearly hasn't been able to pr- to protect uh, porous defenders in front of him, and he's not getting as many minutes with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard like he did last year. Uh, so I think That's it's just a matter of law because Zubac last year his defensive metrics were there, right? Like their defensive rating when he was on the court was really good. Um, sort of the the rim protection numbers for him were really good like on paper it seemed like he was giving them a boost defensively last year but you're telling me this year it hasn't hasn't panned yeah. out that way yeah this this year it's like they're terrible on the floor with him uh <laughs> defensively but again we're talking about numbers where it's early and he'll get into it the the Availability is a skill, uh, right? We talk about being yes, there and yes. working yeah. some things out. And you got to give Zubats credit for the fact that he hasn't missed a game due to injury uh, since he came over from the Lakers. And the more opportunities you have to get used to uh, new situations as far as the coaching, the schemes, the personnel, the role, going from a starter to a bench guy, you get a chance to work those things out and – especially with Marcus being healthy now, um, they have an opportunity to figure out what works, what doesn't work. And you know what? It goes both ways. Other teams got an opportunity to give them their best shot because when you're good, you're going to get that. And they'll get that this week from two teams that they have nothing else to do but play hard, and that's the Kings and the Thunder. But their their best five-man by a ton – by a ton is with Ibaka at the five. I mean, it's not even close. Like they're plus 62 with him at, at their best five men with him at center is their second in the league to the Lakers best five. Um, so you wonder, like, I just wonder that if, if Ty is serious about small ball, I mean, it seems to me that's, that's the winning li- winning time lineup, right? Yeah. And I think that again, when you got a when you have a roster, when you have some options, coaches love to see, okay, what, what are the options going to be? Especially when you have a full deck to try it out. Uh, no one's really been seriously injured for the Clippers outside of Marcus not being able to start the year either. Um, we, we, you expect that to not really be the case. I mean, injuries, unlike, I know people love to say turn injuries off, but injuries, it's, it's a reality. And at some point, you're going to have to just win some games out of necessity. Right now, they got some options. They're going to try them out. I think they know what they have in Surge, even though it's his first year with the team and it's early. They know what they have in Surge. They know that he's reliable. And depending on the teams that they're playing in, he's going to be there. What do we think of Ty so far? How do you think he's doing with regard to his, his roster? He obviously knows the roster. What are the tweaks that that you think he's he's going to put in or that he's already put in that pay dividends down the road? The main thing with Ty is the stuff that goes on really that have not as much to do with on the court. I think he's giving guys just that that access, that two-way communication, uh the feeling that listen, if you're going to 
coach a team with expectations like this, you should you should make it collaborative. I think he said the other night that he's going to be wrong sometimes and the players are going to be wrong sometimes. But if people are at least listening to each other, that's going to help. And he's been he's been open with his communication with guys up and down the roster. He's told guys you'll play some nights you want you might not play some nights. Be ready. He told Lou Williams, you know what? We try to ask you to be a facilitator. We see you trying to get comfortable with this these group of guys, but forget all that. Get buckets. Do you. And just being able to put guys in position uh, to do what they do best, I think that's really what Todd's focus is. When you talk about the three-point shooting and how much the offense has been kind of jump shot reliant, you're looking at guys and you're like, where are the free throws that were there last year? Where are the paint attacks? And Ty's like, yeah, you know what? We're playing slow and we're shooting a lot of jump shots. We want to be able to be a team that plays faster, that gets the paint touches, that gets the drives, that has the ball movement. And the ball movement has been something that has spread for the whole team. You got their best players passing up open jump shots. You The, the emphasis on spacing, the emphasis on making the right play and not just being results-oriented, I think that's a, that, that's a lot of credit to Ty Lue. Man, you know, it's interesting. Some of that stuff, too, because I feel like Doc is one of the coaches still left in the league who's kind of indifferent about three-point shooting. And I assume that that would change once Ty Lue got in here because that was an emphasis in Cleveland um, during his Cleveland stop was put up as many threes as possible. Um, he loved offense-favored sort of lineups, right? Like where it's like, all right, cool, we're – going to be sacrificing stuff defensively, but we're going to spread people out and kill them as far as what we do on the offensive end. So I think what we're seeing there is just Ty Lue's philosophy. Not that he doesn't want his team to play defense, but I think he really wants to get the best offensive units out there as possible, which is which which is why I think you've seen him um, sort of going with a little bit more of that small ball stuff and playing with it way more than Doc did. Doc never, ever, ever played small ball last year. Like, it just was a rarity to see it. And he didn't go to it in the Denver series, which I thought was a mistake at the time. Um, So it's interesting to see Ty Lue trying different things. Yeah, if there's one thing that you will get from Ty is he's going to be quick to adjust. Uh, he, he's going to see that. what's happening and I, and I think he's just going to be like, all right, you know what? We have options. Let's use them. Uh, let's figure out yeah. what doesn't work at a time where it won't hurt you so that when you got to make some critical, critical decisions, then let's, 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 uh, let's, let's have the data. Let's have the insight to understand how that may or may not work. You know what? I would think the Clippers should shoot even more threes than they do. And that, and hmm. part of that is the pace. I mean, as well as they're shooting, it's like they're in the middle of the pack uh, hmm. with their three-point shooting. They could do more. And I think that's something that, again, it's a long season. We're only a fifth of the way through it. And that's hard to kind of think about when you start a season. It's like, oh, wait, we got four more of these tests if you will these extended trials that's where we're at we're we're really early in the process here 
So what, who do you think, I mean, is there is there a guy or two that you think, hey, that guy should be shooting more threes? He's got to bump that up from two, two or three to five or six a night. You know, it's real funny. Um, and people don't think of uh, this guy as someone who should be doing more of anything. I think people would be like, he's enough. But uh, the way Patrick Beverly is shooting, it, mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's been he's been incredible with his with his jump shot. And it's like, yeah, he's shooting more threes this year. I mean, four and a half threes a game is still, you know, a lot considering Pat Beverly is very people are used to him being uninvolved offensively, but right. yeah, he could absolutely take more threes. He could absolutely hmm. be a guy who averages double figures scoring on this team just on the basis of shoot more often, get him more looks. The dude is shooting 44% from three. That's just, again, you don't correlate Pat Beverly, you know, with yeah. that kind of elite shooting. And the guy's shot over 40 or he shot at least 38% from three each of the He's last reliable. six seasons. He's reliable. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So, so you even, could, re- even regression to the mean, he's going he's gonna to be high 30s, right? right? You can stand some more yeah. volume from a guy who is going to be on the court with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard at a often 25-plus minutes a game. So, yeah, finding more shots for someone like him, especially with the way he's been shooting, the way he's been shooting for years, that would do a that, – that would – it would be interesting to see. I can't even say, I mean, they'll be even better. It's like, well, maybe, yeah, they're already really good. <laughs> they're already really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, we, the, the soap opera aspect is something I want to touch on briefly. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but have they, do they acknowledge that they may have gotten in their heads, their own heads a little bit last year with all of the, you know, obvious comparisons and challenges to the Lakers and, and, and kind of lost track of who they are and, and because I, do, I don't hear the noise this year nearly as much as I heard last year about, yeah, we're going to beat the Lakers. We want the Lakers in the conference finals. Well, I think when you lose the way they did, even if they say stuff like, oh, it doesn't matter, it doesn't they know it matters. Uh, they and, mm-hmm. and I think that's what that's what training camp is for. Uh, I think when you start a new year you acknowledge what happened and it's kind of like you bury it. You know, I've heard NFL teams do, I I feel like this was a Sean Payton story, but I feel like, um, you know, you have the thing where it's like you put everything that you did and, and then you kind of like put a lid on it and bury it somewhere. You burn it. Yeah. And this, this this team it's it's talking about a different kind of energy. They, they know what city they play in. They know what franchise they play for. Um, and you need to have a certain level of mental toughness, emotional intelligence, if you're going to do what you want to do as a professional basketball player, as a professional teammate, uh, going forward. So uh, the, the noise is reduced simply because when you get humiliated and embarrassed like that, when you have to eat that crow, well, what are you going to do? I mean, you can be insane and do the same thing over again, or you can focus on what you're what what you're really going to be trying to do at the end of the year. They're a really good team. So they don't need to worry about everybody else talking for them. They can just play basketball. So recently Kawhi Leonard played in his first back-to-back in over three years. Um, I tweeted at the time that I thought this was like pretty big symbolically, right? Because of all of the stories that came out about the special treatment and him picking when he wants to play and when he does and basically him being his own coach, GM trainer, all of that stuff. I thought that meant something that he would do that, a sort of recognition that 
the way he carried things last year might not have been ideal. What did the team or the guys say coming out of that? They see Kawhi as the leader of this team. And you got a guy who's going to have to lead by example. And yeah, I think last year, the team's bad habits, if you want to call it that, a lot of it had to do with the fact that they didn't know uh, who they were playing with on a daily basis. Um, And this year's Kawhi Leonard is different than last year's Kawhi Leonard. I thought last year's Kawhi Leonard was, I won finals MVP and I'm here. It was almost like a post-coronation. And that's not a criticism. That was earned. A lot of that was earned. But obviously the results played out better for Kawhi, the individual player, than it did for the L.A. Clippers as a team. And his approach has been different. That back-to-back that he played in, uh, that was a big night. Uh, They went to Golden State. And I know a lot of people will remember the game that they lost in Golden State with the 22-point lead. But the night, two two nights before that, it was the second night of back-to-back. Marcus Morris comes back and is like, I'm coming off the bench. Paul George comes back from an injury and is like, I'm playing. And Kawhi Leonard's like, I played last night against the Spurs. We lost. Got on his plane. I'm playing tonight. And he basically said, look, if he's healthy, he's playing. He's ready uh, to take a different approach this year. Some of that is health. And then some of that is mentality. Some of that is, it's not, I think this is the first year really where Kawhi actively is like, I realize it's not just me. It's my team. I realize that I have a bigger role in this culture that needs to be built. When he was in San Antonio and Toronto, that culture was there. There was an infrastructure that was there. The light isn't on you. I mean, I'll give a little bit of credit to the Clippers organization. This ain't, you know, 2009. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. they, They have had a level of success, the goalposts move a little bit, but you still have to fight perception. And that means Kawhi had to adjust. And that's, that's the adjustment. He said, if I'm healthy, I'm playing. You didn't hear that last year. So that is, that, that is something that, that affects the team. Cause now you're seeing your guys not just say certain things, but also do it and apply it. Well, like you said, your, your best ability is availability. I mean, that is just, it, it goes without – I can't express to you how important it was back in the old days that the best players played 82 every year. Like they just – it was a badge of honor. Like if you played 75 games, people looked at you like like you were a quitter basically. <laughs> 3,000-minute Three, <laughs> like seasons. Yeah, yeah. Like it just was not – like Pippen and Jordan were just in the lineup every night, no matter what they had. And they had stuff. It's not like they were Superman. You know what I mean? Like they had hamstrings and busted wrists, fingers and all, you know, sprained wrists and busted fingers and all kinds of stuff. But you played, you just played, you know, and that doesn't mean that they were tougher. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying when you know that your guy's going to show up, he's going to do something good. It may not be scoring that night. It may be rebounding or defense or whatever, or just, or just spreading the floor, just being a decoy. It just it just makes your team feel I don't know. There's a mental toughness. I really do believe that that's that's a big part of why those teams tended to win multiple titles and be in the finals multiple times because their best players were always there. Yeah. And I think that you know I get I get sports medicine. It makes sense. You get more wear over a long period of time out of your guys. I get it. I'm just saying you lose a little edge. When they know he's not playing tomorrow night. Yeah. Because it's a back to back. Yeah. You just do. 
And, you know. and again, it's a, it's a long season. So, you know what? Uh, that maintenance that needs to happen over the course of the season, your, your job in the regular season is really to do two things, to get better on the floor and to, and, and to stay sustainable in a way where all the work that you put in during the regular season, especially if you're a team that expects to contend, can actually manifest itself when you're basically, it's you and another team uh, to advance to another round. So the more that you can put in the more wins you can stack up, but also can you stay healthy? Uh, can you, can you encourage your teammates to stay with it uh, both mentally yeah. and physically? Uh, I think Kawhi has really applied that on the floor, off the floor. Yeah. Well, look, it's dope to see. Cause honestly, I've been saying it since the season started. I think they're going to be there at the end they're going to go to the conference finals and they're going to give the Lakers on, everything they can handle. Was. Pick them. Pick them. <laughs> pick them. No, 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 no. I'm not picking them. <laughs> not, not, not picking them. Okay. Not picking. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll revisit this later on in the season. We'll see where you're at. Hey, yes, Law, sir. thank you, my brother, man. I'm so happy for you. I'm, for real, yes, thank you. I mean, this. I'm so glad for your success. Uh, throughout the years. I'm glad you're with us. I, I, I know how hard you've worked and I really appreciate you coming on. Um, and man, just stay safe and stay healthy out in them streets, man. I know it's crazy out there in LA right now. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you, Wise. Wise, you know how it is on the West side of things. Um, and DA, uh, as far as your family, yes, man, uh, I never met your dad, but I really appreciate the man he was to allow you to be the man you were. So uh, blessings to you and your family. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, Law. I appreciate that so much. And I and and um you know, it's it's been quite a journey. Um so um I just I'll just leave it at that and I'll just say, hey, thank you all for listening. Um and um leave us that five star review on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, however you listen to us, however you get us. Let people know. And oh, by the way, are we we didn't take questions this week. We're supposed to take questions. We'll do that next week. We'll get back to questions. And remember, as always, no stupid questions. I don't want stupid questions from you. <laughs> Ask me smart questions, you get a smart answer. All right, see you.